riding with you. Well, hi, everybody. It's Crosstown Conversations, and oh, my God, we have a super-packed show for you tonight. Um, so we're going to be jumping right into the pot, and we're going to be stirring it up, and we're going to stay in there for the whole hour. Um, we're going to be talking about everything from voting um, to a great big art show that's opening on Sunday to voodoo to the Lower Ninth Ward. And in reverse order, we're going to start with the Lower Ninth Ward. <laughs> so, um, these two folks who are here, um, Calvin Alexander and Mary, how do you pronounce it, Richard? Rickard. Huh? Rickard. Rickard. Okay. Because um, somebody else was just in the other day saying it's Richard, not Richard. <laughs> <laughs> in Louisiana it is. Oh, I know. Uh, is, uh, and are we all, um, uh, I couldn't hear you on the mic, so I'm a little bit unsure about whether your mic is open or not. So, um, uh, so uh, uh, Calvin and uh, Mary, why don't you guys start with um, giving us a little bit idea of what you got all cooked up for um, this coming Sunday? Okay, are you hearing me? Okay, great. Uh, Sunday, we are starting in the Lower Ninth Ward section of the city, a part of a 300-year celebration of the founding of the city of New Orleans. Uh, our celebration will be taking place at the newly completed Global Green Climate Action Center. Finally. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Took at, a little while. Yeah, that's 5400 Douglas Street. That's Andrew and North Peters, right at the, the River Levee in the Lower Ninth Ward. Um, so so let, me, let me start you off. I, 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 you know, we're all kind of a little bit tricentennialed out in the city. <laughs> Some of it's been really significant and helpful, and others of it have been, um, I don't know, maybe even a little trivial. But the Ninth Ward is such a unique and special territory that has had to fend for itself more than any other neighborhood in the city. So, I mean, you've got the past, um, let's see, 18 minus 5, 13 years to really celebrate, in addition to all those other years before it. Um, so it, I, I, I doubt that if you had not been able to kind of rise to the occasion and pull the Ninth Ward back up, and it's not all the way up by any means, you wouldn't be here talking about the tricentennial in the Ninth Ward. That's true. Uh, but I think that the important thing is we've titled this 300 Years of Resilience. And as you know, with with the city of New Orleans growing up along the Mississippi River, uh, the Lower Ninth Ward, which I'm going to go ahead and do a little bit of an aside now. The Lower Ninth Ward has only been at about 100 years when the city was split by the Industrial Canal or Inner Harbor Navigation Canal, which connects the Mississippi River with Lake Pontchartrain. Um, it is a part of the, the city that for a number of years, people didn't even know where the heck that was. You say, I live in the Holy Cross neighborhood or I live in the Lower Ninth Ward. Most people didn't have a clue where it was, though they lived in the city all their lives. Really? Yes. That really sounds crazy, but... I'll, I'll tell you what, after Katrina, everybody on, on, uh, on the earth, everybody in the globe knows where the Ninth Ward is. Absolutely, and particularly the Lower Ninth Ward. Mary, but I bet a, a lot of, I was just going to say, I, I bet a lot of people will be coming to this event 
who have never been to the Lower Ninth Ward or haven't been there for 10 years? Yeah, because New Orleans people have a really weird thing about bridges, for one thing. (laughs) I'm from a city that you have to cross a bridge, you know, uh, all day long here and there. And, you know, four, four or five times you don't even think about it. But here a bridge seems to be a big darn deal. Yes, it does. (laughs) <laughs> but we want to emphasize uh, all the new things, the great things that have been happening, not uh, go back to thinking that it's still underwater. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay, so um, let's start at the beginning. Uh, let's do a little bit of that early part of the tricentennial. My husband calls it the, the time of slavery and poverty. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's celebrate slavery and pottery, right. But um, you tell me what about the early phase of Ninth Ward um, you're celebrating. Okay, to start, uh, our celebration is this Sunday, October 28th, 1 to 5 p.m. Uh, at the uh, Global Green uh, Climate Action Center. Again, that's 5400 Douglas Street, or again, Andre and North Peters, right next to the River Levee. Uh, the occasion will feature a 1.30 p.m. Uh, speech by Wait, Dr. Uh, let me let, I'll let you get into the program, but okay. I want you to answer my question. Okay. And my question goes back to the beginning of the tricentennial framework, and what about that? those early years in the Ninth Ward are you celebrating? Okay, well, actually, that's, that's about where I was starting. Okay. Um, the Ursuline nuns, for example, uh, had uh, their convent, etc., there in the area where the Industrial Canal was actually built. Uh, that was uh, approximately, what, 1823, roughly, Mary? Exactly. Thank you. You want to continue from there? <laughs> <laughs> well, the Ursulines had been in the French Quarter, as uh, most people know. I think they've been that, to that convent. But they decided to leave when there were too many uh, ruffians there um, because they were cloistered. So they decided to buy some land in the Lower Ninth Ward. And they had a huge convent there. And it was a school for girls, for white girls, Creole girls, and orphans. And they were there for, I think, 100 years. And they only left in the early 1900s to go, 1910, I think, to go uptown. Um, Again, uh, because there was this push to construct the industrial canal, they they had to sell their land back, and they got a good price. So, actually, uh, ironically, here we are uh, celebrating the tricentennial, and the canal is an issue again, isn't it? Yes, it is. So it's always an issue. So bring me up to that. Um, starting about a hundred years ago, 1918, the land that was purchased from Farmers and the Ursuline nuns, etc., um, was purchased and ground was broken on digging that canal. Uh, I believe it opened in about 1923 and has been a division in this city. Uh, Mary talked about the Lower Ninth Ward, but in those days it wasn't the Lower Ninth Ward because the city wasn't yet divided. Uh, but by 1923, the canal opened and the Lower Ninth Ward had its inauguration, if you will. And that has been sort of a stepchild for this city, like Algiers considers itself ever since. Yeah. And um, what I've always heard, and I think I actually read it from something that Richard Campanella wrote, because he's written about the Ninth Ward history, is that um, one of the things that happened is that the town fathers, so to speak, I call them the boys club, actually, um, moved some of the industrial um, uh, 
facilities that they didn't really want in Orleans further uptown into the Ninth Ward um, uh, on this side of the bridge. Is that does that resonate for you at all? Yes, it does. As a matter of fact, I think there were several uh, foundries. There were several slaughterhouses, as I understand, in the area. Um, as a matter of fact, my home on Caffin Avenue was actually built by a German family uh, that was big in the meatpacking business. Hmm. Uh, that's how they that's how they earned their bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the home tour is going to walk right po- by a slaughterhouse. Hmm. That's and, still there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Functioning? No, Not functioning as, anymore. Well, it's yeah. being used by the port now, or by a vendor of the port. Right. And but my my global greenhouse uh, was on is on top of a uh, former foundry. Sorry. I oh, find foundry, things in yeah. the yard when I try to plant things. Oh, yeah, it's amazing what you dig up around here. (laughs) I have the same issue in my house, which is next door by, well, it's two houses away from the Degas house, but we're pretty convinced that where we are, there was once a parterre garden, so we're digging up bricks, like, constantly all all the time that you just, why were they there? It wasn't a building. Okay, now to your program. Okay. Um, Dr. Emile Gagné-Lomas who is a Catholic Archdiocese archivist, is going to talk to us about the Ninth Ward development of the Ursuline Convent, uh, circa 1824 to about 1910. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, the neighborhood is called Holy Cross. Uh, the late 20s, early 30s, the Congregation of Holy Cross settled there from France uh, on a... I think what had been previously a Spanish land grant. And the amazing thing is, and we're going to have maps of the areas of, of old um, plantations and so on. The land grants, the way they were set up originally, was a strip of land, however wide, from the river all the way back to Lake Pontchartrain. Oh, wow. Yes, okay. that yeah. is the way those land grants and... and uh, they were so vertical to the river, so ex- perpendicular, perpendicular to the, to the river. river yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mary? Right, we've got a 300-year-old map, which is fascinating, and it's in French, carte particulière, <laughs> which we got from the Newberry Library in Chicago. Mm. was originally six feet by seven feet, um, used by uh, ship captains, I guess, going up and down the Mississippi River. So we've got that mounted so you can see uh, not only the original land grants, but that the uh, shape of the river has changed. Oh, yeah, and, and it, as it keeps changing. Um, and, and by the way, ironically, we're going to get uh, later on in the show um, when Jonathan Mayer, who is a, um artist and uh, has done some works that's going to be on view um, at the uh, Crevasse 22 River House in, in Poitras. Um, he actually... Uh, 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 refers to the original name of this territory when it was Native American before all the colonialists arrived. And how to say that word again? So it's it's Bulbancha, and it is still a place. And you can also look that up, uh, Bulbancha is still a place dot org. You could do better than that. We will actually have a Native American there to talk about Bulbancha and their displacement. Are you talking about Jeffrey Derensburg? No, actually, I don't have her name, but it's actually a female. What's her name? Okay. I'd like to, I'd like to know, know her name. She's probably going to be someone who's involved in this zine. So, uh, yeah. Great. But Bulbancha will be uh, represented. How do you spell, how do you spell Bulbancha? B-U- 
B-U-L-B-A-N-C-H-A, or depending on your orthography, you can switch the U for an A. So it's Bulbancha. Bulbancha, right. B-U-L-B-A-N-C-H-A. And what does it mean? Uh, It means the the place of many languages. Isn't that interesting? And it's a Choctaw uh, term. And and he's talking about the Native American languages, not the languages that came to be so... um, really uh, multidimensional as we progress through history. So you got to come by and see us because we will have representation <laughs> and, and information there about Bobuncha. Maybe bien sûr, as you said, of yeah, course I'll be there. He'll pass by, but this is the same day as our event, and yes. he's also going to be playing Loop Guru. Is uh, he? I don't know. I haven't, <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, <laughs> costume. I haven't found a, a costume yet or anything like that. So we're, we're still working, we're still on, working uh, on our loop guru element. Okay. Um, okay. Well, um, it, I, I think it's a great idea. I think also uh, I assume that you'll go through that whole period when it was all little small farms. It was plantation, then it was small farms, and and now it is really what what I think of as a – as a, like a village. It really is, yes. to me, a village and a precious village that should be and I hope will be protected. And I hope that the uh, Lower Ninth Ward, which has um, had such a struggle, but it seems like there's a new push on the, other, on, on the uh, lakeside of St. Claude for the Ninth Ward. Yeah, the streets are being repaved. The, the self-service drainage and so on is being taken care of, new sidewalks and so on. Uh, Mary is, is scheduling a walking tour with, among others, Gene Sizzik, the well-known He's local he really knows uh, architect. Lot, yeah. uh, but there's going to be food, music. We're going to have three ba- three live bands there. There's going to be food. Our food is going to be prepared by um, <laughs> one of the one of the guys who does uh, competitive barbecue, uh, Bad to the Bone, from over in Picky, and he's coming in to do the cooking for us. So it'll be great food, which will be free to the public. Uh, food, drink, music. Um, Seven musicians. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's a band. Three different groups. Three different oh, groups, wow. yes. All, I think it's all up to afternoon nine out in the back. There's a big uh, open area up behind Global Green overlooking the river. Yes. And so they're going to play outside while the speech, the uh, lectures are going on and inside. And I guess they cut the grass. They did. They have. <laughs> it they looks place up. It looks actually. great, Jane. You've got to stop by and see it. But <laughs> there are nonprofits there who are, who are going to be talking about helping people still redevelop their homes and rebuild post-Katrina. Uh, there will be uh, face painting for the kids. Also, uh, there's, there's going to be a table set up for the kids to do pumpkin painting and decorating for <laughs> Halloween and so on. So everybody come out and have a great time. We have a lot of activities like that, John River, too. So I'm hoping that we'll send you people and you send us up, uh, people. We'll so look forward we'll to it. We'll give you some material and you give us some material and make sure everybody enjoys both locations. Very good. Guys, have a great Sunday. I hope Thank it's you. a big hope success. hope you get over the bridge safely. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I think uh, Thank I think you, Jean. Well. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll pass by on my way down to Kravos 22. By all means, go. do. Now, um, we're going to get serious for a minute because, um, as uh, many of you know, I made a determination that every day um, since we've been back on the air between now and Election Day, I was going to talk about voting because, as President Obama said, there is no election more important 
ever than this one. This is a very, very important election, and we've got to make sure people get out to vote. And um, while some of it may seem distant and Washington-based, and, and uh, you may be sick to death of listening to all the nonsense that's coming out of there, but there are some local issues as well. And Andrea Armstrong, who's a professor in the Loyola College of Law, is here today, and um, she's been working hard on this. And I would like you, uh, please, to share with us um, just exactly why voting locally is so important. Well, really, it's locally, um, and, and thank you, by the way, for, for having me. Um, it's really locally that we can see the impact of what's going on. Um, yes, and so uh, the amendment that, that I think is critical here uh, on November 6th is the Second Amendment, and so we're urging people to vote yes on two. Um, and the Second Amendment, um, Constitutional Amendment, is there to require unanimous juries throughout the state of Louisiana. And so uh, many of your listeners might not know that right now you can be convicted of a crime, of a serious felony crime, uh, when only 10 out of 12 people agree. Um, and so it really just challenges this idea that we think that, uh, you know, someone has to be convicted beyond a reasonable doubt, because that's actually not the case in Louisiana today. So I want you to explain this a little bit further, because um, even I, who am definitely in favor of this, just because you tell me to be, because it, it, it is important, it, it is just a little bit hard to understand exactly um, why that unanimous versus just two less votes um, is so important. Let, let's, let's break it down a little bit. Well, I mean, if we just even started the history, right? And so in 1898, Louisiana had a constitutional convention. The call for the convention was to establish the supremacy of the white race. And that constitution deliberately created a variety of measures to disenfranchise recently freed uh, people who had been enslaved. And so uh, what they put into place was a deliberate effort to minimize black voices in the political sphere and in our legal spheres. So at that time, uh, if there's a, a jury of 12, and they knew because of federal laws, and this was post-Civil War, that they had to allow African Americans to serve on a jury, they were trying to find ways to undercut that mandatory um, uh, allowance for them on the jury. And so they said, okay, we'll let them on the jury, but we'll make their voices count less. And so at that time... Ah, uh, okay, yes, now I got it. <laughs> yes, and okay. so um, what's interesting is actually today in our federal system, uh, so if you're prosecuted at, at, uh, in the federal courthouse, there has to be a unanimous jury. But you go a couple miles down the road to Tulane and Broad, and there it's only going to take 10 votes even if two people think that you're innocent, you can still be convicted. Um, and so from the origins up through the present day, this law has remained on Louisiana's books, and we're really unique in the United States um, by maintaining this practice. Why do you think we're such holdouts on this? Well, I think part of it is uh, it wasn't until recently, and it was really through the work of Professor Angela Bell, in part, who's at Southern University, that we've understood what the origins of this law is. Um, and so she really unpacked for us where this law came from and why it was enacted. 
but today, what we see is one of the leading uh, people who's fighting to uh, change this and to require a unanimous jury is actually a guy named Ed Tarpley, who used to be a district attorney, who is a Republican, um, and who understands that this undermines basic fairness and rights. So he must have been confronted with real-time experiences where he saw somebody convicted that shouldn't have been. And and when he talks about it, um, he talks about how it undermines his confidence in the system as a whole. So what you'll see is um, in the last uh, couple of years, we've had 12 exonerations, right, that were, so people who were wrongfully convicted, and those 12 cases had non-unanimous juries. And those people sat in jails for decades. Decades, at least. So just, their lives were stolen from them. I, I still, I have to say Glenn that. Glenn David, Kia, I mean, they, they missed the childhood of, their, of, their, of his baby girl, for example, for Glenn Davis. Um, and so we see that there's wrongful convictions. Uh, but we also see that it... it it's different, and it shouldn't be, right? So in Alabama, they will actually protect your rights to liberty more than in Louisiana, and that just doesn't make that sense. That is hard to imagine, really. Is It doesn't make sense. We're a better state than that. So um, if you don't mind me um, kind of uh, segueing a little bit to the national situation, I think that um, – I am I am a uh, victim right now of the late night uh, cable shows. Uh, I started off in just disbelief of what was going on, and I, I, I now believe what's happening. But I think we're still shocked when we read about the games that are being played in places like Alabama and Montana, where um, Montana, where they are. I found a way to keep Native Americans from voting by saying, oh, if you don't have a real address, you can't vote. And on reservations, you don't have street addresses. And then in Alabama, you have a situation where um, essentially the guy who is the secretary of state presently who controls the elections is running for governor. Georgia. Georgia. Thank you. Right. And um, and he is literally uh, stacking the deck again and making it harder for people to vote, and especially the people who are um, minorities. It's, it's just, it's, it's flagrant. And, you know, uh, some people are calling what's going on in America today the Second Civil War. So here we are back to the beginning. And <sighs> Absolutely. And, and I wouldn't say that, um, you know, you didn't mention Louisiana, and we're talking nationally, uh, but a recent report by the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights specifically looks at voting restrictions across the United States that have been enacted in the last five years. And the Louisiana Advisory uh, Council, which is a uh, group of of volunteers um, who were appointed uh, by the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, held uh, a series of hearings last year and found that 108 polling places here in the state of Louisiana had also been closed. Um, And so... The experience of Louisiana. What drives me crazy about what you just said is that, have you read that in a local paper? Have you? I I mean, I've never heard that number. I mean, I I hear about every last little crime on the street yesterday. If I go to one of the newspaper sites, I'm going to see crime and sports, crime and sports, crime and sports. And, and something like this, which is, this is, that's, a, that's unbelievable. 108 out of how many? How many polling places do we have? Do we know approximately? 
I don't have the number off the yeah. top of my head, uh, but what I will say is if you go to USCCC, USCCR.gov, uh, they have not only the national report that was put out, uh, but they also have, as part of their appendices, the Louisiana report that came out, and that was based on testimony that was gathered at Grambling University and also in Baton Rouge, two so, separate hearings. So, so um, uh, besides uh, obviously being involved in this from an academic standpoint and obviously an activist standpoint, uh, uh, how are you and, and who are the folks who are involved in the question of not just the polling places but other ways that voter suppression is being executed in this state of Louisiana? Well, I think that there's been individual um, cases and litigation uh, but I think we've also seen some really strong work by groups like the Power Coalition. Um, so they are going statewide, informing people about not only how they can vote, uh, but empowering them with the information to make an educated vote. Can you um, uh, Power Coalition send me, send, is, is powercoalition.org? .org. Okay, .org. I need to, I'd love to have, um, if I could, one of these folks on next week. They do incredible work, um, and so I, I've, had, I've had a number of groups uh, um, that are working on voting issues over the, over the last few radio shows, but, and I heard of them, but I don't know them, so I'd, I'd love to uh, include them if I could. They do incredible work. Um, the, you know, obviously the League of Women Voters has been very active in this work, um, and then the Voice of the Experienced uh, has also been, um, voice of the experience of the experience yes mm -hmm. um, and that's vote-nola.org uh, they've been working in particular around disenfranchised communities uh, you, you may have heard that last legislative session a bill was passed to restore the right to vote uh, to people who are on probation or parole so right and I had some of those convicted. folks come in uh, last mm -hmm. week and they did talk about that yeah mm -hmm. So we're, we're doing really good work on getting out the vote. One of the things that um, we're working really hard on for this unanimous jury co uh, amendment that's happening here in Louisiana is we've really seen all of these groups come together along with Republicans, along with uh, the Family Forum, sheriffs, DAs. And so the, the so, so this may be the uh, absolute um, ultimate uh, bipartisan initiative, and it's really remarkable. To be honest, I've never seen anything like it. Um, but if folks would like that to learn comes from more, real, again, that yeah. comes from real-time experience, people who have lived it, They've but who are it. being honest about it, unlike some of those folks up there. And they're honestly coming together on this one issue, right? And so if people want to learn more, there's a couple of future events. Um, so on Thursday at Revolution, uh, which is 1840 Thalia Street, uh, from 5 to 8, there's a happy hour. Uh, and then this Saturday, in our New Orleans tradition, we're going to second line to the polls. So we are going from Congo Square to City Hall at 1 p.m. Uh, and so we've got a, a brass band that's coming with us. And we are going into City Hall, and we're going to participate in early voting. So early voting runs from yesterday, October 23rd, until October 30th, excluding Sundays. And you can do it here in Orleans Parish at City Hall. So October 30th is Tuesday? It is Tuesday. must be because uh, Halloween yes. is the 31st it's and it's Wednesday. Wednesday. So, all right. So everybody, get your get your sneakers on, uh, your sun hats. Absolutely. Maybe we'll have some sun return by then because we're going to have a little bit of rain. I, I I understand in the next couple of days. And come vote with us at City Hall. And if you can't make it during that early voting period, then on November 6th, get to your local precinct and uh, coast, you know cast your vote for yes on two. 
Thank you very, very much, Andrea Armstrong. Now, you keep me up to date, okay? And let me know um, what's going on and uh, come back on uh, whenever you want to to make sure that you constantly refresh people on the importance of of voting and on issues that are coming up. And and anything that's going on in a way of um, trying to uh, prevail against this contemporary movement of voter suppression, which, as I said, just just blows my mind. Absolutely. Just plain blows my mind. We've got work Mm -hmm. to do. Thank you so much. Um, uh, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to um, uh, go into uh, a conversation about um, another cool event that's coming up. There's actually two more events that we're going to talk about on the show today. And one, um, Sally Ann Glassman is going to be in here in just a few minutes talking about um, the voodoo ceremonies that are going to be at the uh, and celebration and feast that's going to be at the Healing Center on um, St. Claude. But before we bring her in, I have a very interesting young man here who has done some beautiful art that basically became the foundation for a new show that we are, mount- we are in the process of mounting um, <laughs> yeah. at Crevasse 22 River House, which is a name I may live to regret because nobody knows it's an art facility. <laughs> but it is. It is about art nature and uh, monsters and pies because it just happens that we are also opening on Sunday the 28th which is um, you know the Sunday before uh, car- uh, before um, uh, Halloween and uh, we just wound up with that accidentally and then we said oh wait we're three days before Halloween so we're going to have to sort of emphasize that in our opening and since we have the landscapes and monsters show it all came together let's just put it <laughs> yeah. that way and this is Jonathan Mayu I, I pronounce it different every <laughs> time because it's I can't. All, it's all good I grew up I grew up saying Myers uh, but I just recently for, for me personally I like using Maya so Maya which is you found out the correct pronunciation yeah there's some Acadians up there in Nova Scotia and uh, New Brunswick area that actually use that pronunciation so you're it works gonna, for me. You're going to be authentic and, and be the real. All right. So um, Jonathan walked into the Crevasse 22 River House one quiet weekend when I was sitting out there uh, waiting for the crowds. And um, uh, we get beautiful crowds when we do events, and that's why we keep doing them. But uh, sometimes they can be a very quiet weekend, and this was one of them. And he showed me his work, and it's, it's, it's fascinating work. But I'm going to let him talk to you a little bit about it. And this is going to be going up, and it will be open on Monday, on, um, sorry, Sunday the 28th. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, Sunday the 28th, you know, from 2 to 6 p.m., we'll have uh, our reception, right? So uh, if you want to come see the, the work that's up there, um, if you're interested in, you know, familiar landscapes that perhaps you've seen or perhaps you've dreamed about or perhaps you, it gives you some sort of a nostalgic feeling, uh, you know, that you can never reach it, but, you know, maybe you can go there in your imagination. Uh, but these, you know, these landscapes I paint, the, they sort of in, exist in that realm. Uh, and then also in the realm of surrealism or fantasy and mythology um, uh, and folklore with these creatures that, uh, that populate the scenery. And so they, most if not all the creatures are, are born out of... Um, the experiences that I have and or historical events or things that have taken place, uh, either environmental disasters or nature taking its course and things like that. Um, I think uh, one of them that's the, the more prominent works in the show is um, uh, Corn de Bruyas, 
Venon du Lac Penier, which is uh, Foghorns on Lake Penier, uh, which is where the largest um, uh, salt dome sinkhole disaster ever occurred in Louisiana uh, back in the early 80s. Uh, and so that's when uh, Texaco had drilled through the top of a salt dome, and thankfully no one no one uh, died in the in the disaster. But it changed completely the um, the dynamics and the uh, of the environment there in the in the water. So it, it was a lake that was all fresh water, and then became salt water. And the Delcom mm-hmm. Canal ran ran uh, north from the Gulf um, for the first time in recorded history. And so. Anyway, so there's a brine salt monster that is awoken uh, in this painting called a, what I call a dos de saumur, which is a, in, in English it just be a brine back. If you think something that breaches the water like a humpback whale and it's made of brine salt, but it looks very monstrous and mean and evil and whatnot, it's kind of that. But it's it's there to um, to protect the the surrounding neighbors of that lake, um, and then. You know, if you follow the stuff that's gone, <coughs> excuse me, if you follow things uh, that are more closely related to other environmental disasters or environmental action that's going on right now, such as the uh, what's going on with the Loy La Vie camp, uh, right, and so the, the Bybridge pipeline that's coming through. Um, so, you know, I made a painting about that, about being out in the camp there um, with this sort of two-headed, oily-looking snake coming through, trying to pass through that that property out there in rain. Uh, and that one's called La Louve Blanche Protégeant Rain, which is uh, the white wolf pro- protecting rain, or originally Nashoba Topi, uh, protecting rain, uh, Louisiana. So <clears throat> anyway, so in the protagonist in there is... Uh, uh, a really strong woman figure who turns into uh, her name, the White Wolf. Uh, so that's who is depicted in that particular that particular painting. So, so what's interesting, I think, is that um, you know, again, the, the paintings in and of themselves, the landscapes are very beautiful, very elegant, and then um, the monsters, in their own right, are are bona fide. Um, scary monsters. <laughs> They're haunting. But they are actually metaphors for the environmental dangers that you're concerned about that are happening in our part of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct. And, uh, you know, at the at the same time, in, in, in addressing all of these sort of contemporary issues, um, I create, you know, short stories or poems that go along with each, so it builds on... Uh, folklore and culture here as well, creating these new monsters and tales to tell your children, either in French or in English. Uh, hopefully I'll translate them uh, all into Curie Vini or Louisiana Creole soon, much like the catalog um, and the show was for Mythologie Louisianaise, which recently uh, was at Arthur Roger Gallery, um, which that was all trilingual um, with the Louisiana French, Curie Vini and English. What's Curie Vini? Curie Vini, that is a that is a Louisiana Creole. That is Louisiana Creole itself. Um, so, that, and actually, right now at Alliance Francaise in Lafayette, there's the first iteration of a course, uh, inter, uh, um, a novice, you know, course for Curie Vini. So it's a it's a it's Creole that was born out of uh, African language uh, grammatical structures and syntax, and uh, the slaves were using French. Um, 
And so it was a way for people to survive at a time that they, you know, when they needed to, when they, they didn't know the language, they had been taken from their land, and so they had to, they had to learn how to um, speak okay. with, communicate, yeah. thank you, communicate with the, the French. Uh, and so, you know, my ancestors spoke some of that too. They're from Pointe Coupe and they're from the river parishes and such. And so I have friends that they, they speak Curivigny, uh, Cliff Saint Laurent and Christophe Landry. And then I add sediment and things on my frames and stuff to bring in that that real physical um, that real physical uh, place for each each uh, illusionistic image uh, in my work too. So it gives you a sense of that real physical thing. Yeah. So um, as as the listeners can tell, um, you take your your history. Uh, very personally, and and mm-hmm. and you're steeped in it, and you and you really want to understand it in detail. And we had a prior conversation where you really were trying to talk about, you know, the earlier phase of history here when it really was <laughs> um, what we call Native Americans. I mean, of course, I, I think this whole issue about migration kind of drives me nuts because migration is happening from here to there and there to here. It's 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 always ongoing from one place to another. And so, um, you know, my family originally on my mother's side comes from Slovakia. I go back there to trace my roots mm. and I discover all the people who have floated through that region, which came from Norway and Ireland and France. And I'm saying, and of course, my husband always accuses me of being a, um, uh, what are the wa- warrior women called? <laughs> the, the Scythian women. He says, oh, you have Scythian blood for sure. <laughs> so we're all a, a, a mixture all uh, throughout history. So I'm not sure who was native or not to the actual American lands. But um, Well, I mean, that would obviously be the indigenous populations that were here, the tribes that were here when the, the, when the Europeans came to, quote, unquote, discover the place. I mean, if they were here first, no matter how they got here, then they were here first. Uh, or at least that's how I understand it. And also, you know, the idea of, like, migrating. There's also forced migrations, which is totally different than willing migrations. So, you know, even the Oma. Uh, so in, in uh, Itiuma or Istruma or, well, Baton Rouge or Baton Rouge. Uh, so that place north of there is where the Oma actually were. And then they all got pushed down through colonialism and things like that. So... As we did once again after Katrina, uh, mm. uh, uh, were forced out in a, in a forced uh, migration out of the city. Right. So, in addition to um, in addition to Jonathan Mayer's work, uh, we will have uh, these really luminous landscapes by Gina Phillips, which. I kept trying to figure out what it was about them that captured me because they're very simple in a way, almost uh, they're almost Edward Hopper-ish or Mm. or they're not at all in that style, but they're very American. They're very Southern. They're very um, simple, but they're very luminous. And I finally figured out what they reminded me of, and that's Van Gogh. Because um, and he was a painter whose work was totally ignored when he was alive, which is so sad to think of how that happens to artists and they become worth millions and millions and millions after they're long gone. But um, that's how her work strikes me. So she's in the show. And then Tina Gerard Mm -hmm. um, is in the show and, and her work. Um, is a combination of uh, symbols and, and narratives and stories about this area, but it's done in the way that Haitian 
um, flags are done, and Sally Ann Glassman can probably explain a lot more about Haitian flags than I know, uh, but I have a couple of them in, in my home that I, I have acquired through Tina. And then finally, the landscapes of a, of a man named Rudolf Radlinger, who sadly committed suicide not too long ago. I think it's been less than two months. And he captured these incredibly ethereal and beautiful landscapes of, of all places we were talking about, Holy Cross, the mm-hmm. ninth, Lower Ninth Ward, and, of course, other parts of the city as well. So this is going to be a beautiful show. It really is. And it's worth coming to see on the opening day on October 28th because we have so much else going on, and I have to please get in um, the pies because we have spent most of our organizing time going around the city to restaurants and bakeries um, and trying to bring in um, all different kinds of pies. And so we will now have almost 40 very exceptional pies from every place from, you know, the emeralds type a thing to Bywater Bakery to um, bakeries in, the, in uh, St. Bernard that um, uh, I've come to know since I've, I've acquired my dual membership, my dual citizenship in, in both St. Bernard and, and New Orleans. And, and they're quite exquisite um, things that are coming from uh, all kinds of places. Hi-Hat Cafe has a, a Satsuma icebox pie. I'm going to try to snare that one if mm. I can. I'm definitely interested. Do you have any samples here today? <laughs> wish I did, wish I did. Did grab a cookie before I came over here, but Mad Batter Bakery in, in St. Bernard, Cafe Min, Cowbell, Cafe Dauphine, uh, which is in the Ninth Ward. Today's Catch is known for its seafood, and I only got there for the first time. Uh, recently, and uh, everything I brought home was delicious, um, and they're giving us crawfish pies. Cafe Dega is giving us quiches, and my favorite in the entire universe, chocolate pot au creme, and I'm really excited about that. So there's a lot of food, ciders, uh, music also, and we'll see about Luke Guru, who um, I don't know who he's going to be yet, but he's going to take people through the woods that are right behind there. And we have these scary monster sculptures being built in the woods that people are going to see. And then Tannen's Mod Gun is being used as a, a kind of um, home for Loop Guru. And I make the comparison, and it sort of reminds me of what um, the uh, – um, what was that bomber on the West Coast again? I forgot his name for a minute. I can't remember. Um, Unabomber, the Unabomber from the West Coast, what his home might have looked like, kind of funked up. So it's going to be um, – I said funked, yeah. F-U-N-K. F-U-N-K. I'm, I've known for um, <laughs> some other versions of that. But anyway, I think it's going to be really terrific. But I'm, I'm really um, – and all of this is, uh, in, in, in a way, because of the work of Jonathan Mayu – who not quite right still right? <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, I used you to know, speak if, French. If I say, used to know how to it, pronounce things. It, it, it could, you could say feral possum or radwa farouche. Those, those uh, are my yeah, aliases. That's, that's there you go. Easier. Sure, right. Um, Jonathan, I am looking forward to seeing you out there. Some of the artists, including Jonathan, will be around also to talk about their work. So um, that's another part of the program. This is all happening Sunday between 2 and 6 at Crevasse 22 River House. It's at 8122 Sarrow Lane. 
Um, and actually, if you just head down St. Claude Avenue and go down St. Bernard Avenue and um, uh, make a right uh, by Guillory's Grocery and then make a kind of a, a steep, almost like a U-turn, go down Sarah Lane, almost to the river, and you'll be there. Mm-hmm. Thanks Maybe so much, Jean. To it. Oh, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fun. The show yeah. will be up for a while, so if you don't get out there Sunday, there's another time to see it. But, um, Jonathan, hang around for a little bit, because so, okay. I think you'll have just a little bit of um, traction with um, the things that Sally Ann is going to talk about. So, Sally Ann, hey. how many years have you been doing this now? I think this is the 38th year. No. I lost count a while back, so You're that's a guess. Me. Is it really? Yeah, I think it's 38. So, S- Sally Ann Glassman. Is it official? You say it because I don't know how to say it exactly. Vodun priestess? Vodou, I say. Vodou. Um, which distinguishes it from the the touristy Hollywood version, voodoo. Um, but isn't Vodun also another name Vodun for Vodou? Vodun is perfectly legitimate. I, think I put that in one of my releases. I hope that wasn't wrong. Yeah, I mean, there's there's different spellings, and in Creole, even within Creole, there's different spellings. But Vodou is the is the Haitian Creole. Do you have a comment on that? On how to pronounce it? No, good. Okay. I mean, you, different you, Creole. You can, yeah, it's a different Creole. <laughs> you can say voodoo yeah. or something yeah. of the sort, yeah. yeah. Or hoodoo. Oh, without yeah, which is a different too. thing. Mm-hmm. But oh, it's a totally different thing? Hoodoo? What is hoodoo? Hoodoo is often confused with voodoo, pronouncing it, spelling it V-O-O-D-O-O, and it's sort of a folk tradition of, of spellcraft using herbs and oh, roots and, and oh. so yeah, with doctors bad. and... And all of that conjure. So that's where all that spooky stuff comes from. Day of the Dead is um, the 1st of November. It's the day after Halloween. And just as we have Ash Wednesday right after Mardi Gras, we have uh, Day of the Dead right after Halloween. Because Halloween, I still don't really understand Halloween, but let's just say it's to to spook the spooks. That's kind of how I think of it, to spook away um, the scary things about the coming on of winter. Uh, but Day of the Dead is a day of celebration. There's and three days, actually. And it's the time tell, of year. And Halloween came at this time because it's the time of year when it's considered that the, the veil between the living and the dead is thinnest and that the dead come back and visit us. So in Mexico... Well, why do they say that about that time of the year? No, winter's coming, the dead time of the season's coming, um, we're coming out of harvesting, so there's food being gathered, and we're moving into the dead time, so we're sort of meeting up, life meets death at this time of year, and it's a little spooky, so, um, but in Mexico, the days of the dead are October 31st, which is when the souls of the children come back, and the first is when the beloved dead return. And the second is when all the rest of people come back, all the other souls that don't have anybody to meet them. And um, Orphan souls. Yeah. And um, it's a very festive holiday in Mexico. You know, if you've ever been there for the Days of the Dead, the graves are covered in beautiful decorations with marigolds and candles, thousands of candles and food and and the families go out and picnic all night and play music and have a great old time with their with their ancestors and their beloved dead who return. And it happens to coincide with what's called Fet Gede in Haiti, um, in Haitian Vodou. The Gede spirits are the spirits that rule over death and sex and regeneration, all wrapped up into one happy character. And they are fetid through the entire month of November, but especially the first few days. So 
we've always combined these two events, um, the Day of the Dead and Fetgede, and it, it recently got so crowded in my temple that we moved it to the New Orleans Healing Center, and now we have it in the lobby, which is much bigger. <laughs> it's a really great place. Yeah, thank you. And um, we decorate it up, and people build beautiful altars. They're, they're already under construction now, which is very exciting to, to watch them come in and watch the creativity. And, and the people variety. can come in and, and view the building. People can come in and see the whole building. Um, the building's open for I business. Mean the building of the... Uh... You can watch people building their altars, sure. It's a very public space. You know, it's a community center. And I think, I think there's a lot to learn from how somebody approaches building an altar. There are all different kinds of altars. Um, so it, it's really an interesting process. How would you? Well, so, and how would you describe particularly the the altar that you're you're going to be building there? I, I'm ending up building a couple of them, <laughs> as it turns out. But I, I do the main altar for the dead, and um, I use a lot of elements from Mexico and and family dead and beloved dead. You know, there's photos all over it. There's candles. There's skulls. There's all kinds of really cool stuff and. And um, every year it gets embellished, and I invite people to bring photos of their beloved dead to, to attach to the altar. And this year we're going to make a book about the Day of the Dead at the Healing Center. So we're going to take photos of all the altars and have the artists describe what they were doing, what they were intending, and, and their thoughts. But we're going to also have a pages open where people can write messages to their dead and we'll include that in in the book and and hopefully get those messages through. So um, I I, I can't remember whether we talked about this before uh, or not, but, um, you know, Tannen's, uh, his latest work, focuses on the visible and the invisible. Mm, Big concepts. (laughs) Really, and um, when he first started it, it was was a, a notion almost, but he's been getting more and more immersed in it. As he does, he discovers other, ways that people are dealing with that mm-hmm. and talk about it, including... Well, uh, all, of, all of Vodou is about that, and um, that's the basic premise, that there's an invisible world within the visible world, and the invisible world is more beautiful, it's more full of power, it's more full of potential and actually life than the, than the visible world, but these two worlds intersect and they can influence one another in ways that often strike people as supernatural. But to a Vodou practitioner, it's absolutely natural. And um, everything in a Vodou ceremony, and people who come out for the Day of the Dead in Fetgede were doing a full-on Vodou ceremony that night with uh, initiated drummers and singers and dancers. and, And everything in a ceremony is intended to open that door between the visible and invisible and invite the um, the invisible spirits to come out and dance with us and, and interact with us. And it was that technology for being able to sort of disregard what was happening on the surface level of reality and the visible and reach into this invisible source of power that was, of course, absolutely affirming and empowering for a slave slaves and um, very frightening for slave owners. So there was an absolute campaign intentionally um, embarked upon to to denigrate the religion and destroy the religion and make it seem as evil when, of course, the institution of slavery was the evil. 
was was the religion practiced uh, by most of the Africans who became enslaved and were brought here? Vodou is a mix. It's um, based in African root traditions, and you have to bear in mind that people came from different countries That's and different practices. Yeah. So, for instance, they didn't speak the same language as one another, and not only did Creole come out of that, but um, as both a way to communicate amongst themselves and also so that the French couldn't understand what was being said. But dance and rhythm and song and ritual gesture, art, graphic arts, became forms of language that communicated um, information, communicated meaning, history, legacy, all the things that had been taken from Africans when they went into slavery. And in the New World, they encountered European Catholics, they encountered Native Americans, whatever you want to call them, and um, Masons were practicing both in Haiti and in the Louisiana colony that brought their forms of mysticism and magic. And, and all of these things merged together and became voodoo. Okay, now that's a wrinkle I didn't know. The Masons were involved with voodoo. Yeah, oh, absolutely, and still are. <laughs> and there's, there's some of the spirits, some of the voodoo spirits, they're all called Loa, but some of them are Masons. Hmm. That, 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 uh, that's, that's definitely something new for me. Um, yeah, so this, I feel like um, New Orleans in, in some way has some kind of an um, uh, elevated uh, uh, engagement, let's say, with the invisible. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, I would, you, you talked about lifting the veil. Um, I, I, f- I feel like living in New Orleans, um, that veil is probably a little bit more uh, translucent Absolutely. than in some other places. And it's part mm-hmm. of uh, why our cultural legacy has been so strong and, and lived so long, whereas in so many other places it's, it's kind of in the past, and, but here it's not. It's part mm-hmm. of our contemporary lives. And it grows and morphs and, and develops with us just like Vodou does. My my papa from Haiti, Edgar Jean-Louis, would come and visit, and he told people that he found New Orleans a little unnerving because it was hard to walk down the street. He was bumping into so many spirits, and the air was thick with them. And, wow. and um, I've always said that we... We bury our dead above ground, not because of the water table problem, but so that the dead can get out more easily at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But at any rate, we, um, we welcome the dead. I mean, most people have this very frightening thought about dead spirits. These are people that we love and who love us, and they're here to help us and guide us and heal us and give us perspective. They've been through death themselves so they've been initiated in ways that we haven't and and they can help us forward they're the ones that love us best so we want to honor them we want to bring them foods that they loved and by the way it's a potluck supper afterwards so please bring something for the dead and something for the living as well and let me just speak to the potluck supper because i have um, enjoyed it myself in the past and it is amazing the food that is brought in and we're not talking um, uh, uh, mcdonald burgers here we're talking about (laughs) really elaborate and wonderful dishes but um, i have to say that you know i'm not one who really is very um 
committed to the afterlife, let's just say. But um, I, I feel the presence of my um, family, my parents that I've lost, uh, very strongly always and, mm-hmm. and feel in a sense that, you know, they're not really gone. They're just invisible, mm-hmm. including my poor little border collie. I just lost oh, a little while so ago. So he's just Aww. invisible. He's still with us um, in, in some way. So I, I feel that uh, a lot of the, the celebration of, of voodoo um, evokes yeah. that. Uh, I'm oh, sorry. One of the things we do at the end of the night is we go to the corner lot on Spain and St. Claude where um, Herbie built that fabulous driftwood ship for yeah. the yeah. the Katrina dead, the souls of the Katrina dead. And mm-hmm. we go and we say the praise names of our dead and we pass flame and, and we feed the dead. And it's a it's a wonderful way to feel that you're in touch with the, the ones that matter to you. So all of this is happening on Thursday, November 1st um, at the New Orleans Healing Center. And, and um, so that's a very colorful building, y'all, right across from the St. Rock Market. And um, that's where Cafe Istanbul is, where Chuck uh, holds forth. And um, uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's really uh, a beautiful thing to have happened on the avenue because it was one of the first things, along with Andy and Tippis and, well, I guess, um, essentially Good Children and the front that helped uh, bring life back to the street and invite people to um, recognize it as a corridor through that, that kind of uh, lives in between the uh, 7th Ward and... Um, the, the the river side it's, it's some of it is still seventh ward I think but it's 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 really a, a quite beautiful thing. Closing thoughts or words from either one of you. Uh, don't forget that it's also International Creole Heritage Month this month, so celebrate that if you're Creole like I am. So, you know, last five. Sac passé. And just that. Um, for anyone who has um, concerns that, that voodoo might be evil, I just suggest come out and experience it because it's experienced as a blessing. Mm-hmm. I think the only time voodoo is evil is when somebody evil tries to use sure. it for evil. I've always sure. felt that way about it. So um, that it's, it's, it is a power. There's no question. There's a force there that um, expresses itself, and um, uh, it, it, it's not to be trifled with. On the one hand, but if you, it, it's kind of like, this is going to sound so corny, but everybody talks about pit bulls and how dangerous they are. And the pit bulls that I've known were very sweet animals that were brought up by people who were sweet. And if that's how it's, you nurture something, then it's going to be right for you. And if you treat it badly, it's going to go the other way. Yeah. I am, did you want to add something? Yeah, Please. Yeah. I want, you know, maybe for Halloween. <clears throat> You know, there is the Lugaru, but perhaps go looking for the Shawi Garu, which uh, you can look up uh, Clovis Shawi. Shawi is a raccoon, so Shawi Garu, that is Weracoon. <laughs> and it'll come get you if you throw away all your goodies and stuff in the trash and whatnot. You kind of, like, waste everything. It'll come get you, so be careful. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, okay, so Sunday's a big day. Sunday um, we have things happening uh, both in the Ninth Ward and um, – uh, down in Poydras, uh, next to the river, the Crevasse 22 River House. Please come 
uh, see the art that's going to be there and enjoy the food, the pies, and everything else that's going on. Uh, and then the next day, um, head over to the um, New Orleans Healing Center for the celebration there. This is Jean Nathan. This has been Crosstown Conversations, and um, I'll be back next week uh, on the other side of um, some of all these happenings and with Halloween. Halloween's always been one of my favorites, so I'm excited uh, to see what happens on our show for Halloween. You never know. <laughs> Thanks, Jean. And, Thank uh, and as my uh, theme song says, it, it just it, it ain't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye.